Welcome to The Effective Lawyer, a podcast for ambitious attorneys who want to improve their practice. My name is Jack Zenda, and I'll be your host. Hey, everyone. I'm Kevin Tully, the Chief Marketing Officer of Zenda Law Group. And today we're going to be talking about how law firms use data. Joining with me to discuss this topic is Zenda Law Group's CEO and founding partner, Jack Zenda. Jack is the founder and lead trial lawyer of Zinda Law Group. Jack, how are you doing today? Great, man. Good to see you. Likewise. I'm excited to talk about uh, data, talk about some baseball card stats. We had the most home runs, top batting <laughs> average, 2015. <laughs> we are literally going to nerd out on this podcast. I can't wait. Jack, obviously, data is super important to our firm. We've even got a core value around making data-driven decisions. Um, tell me, just kind of high level, why you think data is so important for not only law firms, but any businesses to be keeping track of. Yeah, that's a great uh, question, Kevin. You know, and to, to zoom out a little bit about how I started using data to help our, our firm it really started with the practice of law and not so much how we ran the business. And it started with trying to figure out what were other lawyers doing that were successful on a case, which then led me to look at what are they doing in their business to get that case and taking the trail back to the initial effort. And that got me thinking about, okay, how can you track this information and then I started reading a lot about how other businesses use information, which is all data is to help drive decisions. And as lawyers, we wouldn't go to trial without doing our homework, without researching, without seeing where the evidence led us. And it's really important that when you're looking at your business, you make similar decisions based on evidence and information, or in other words, data. But how you do that can be tricky and really important on the implementation side. Do you have a sense, is this something that most firms do well, or is this something that most firms struggle with? I think this is something that not just law firms, but a lot of businesses struggle with. I think it's more endemic in law firms that you see not as much attention paid to it. And, and frankly, it's because you know we went to law school to be attorneys, you know, be litigators for a lot of us or do transactional law or help with negotiations. We didn't go to law school a lot of times to look at spreadsheets or look at graphs or look at percentages. And therefore, there's almost pride with a lot of firms in not looking at this information. And even firms that are somewhat successful could be much more successful if they paid attention to this information and would also, frankly, make their lives a lot easier. So I think it's a major issue that holds firms back and individual attorneys back from reaching their full potential. It's really interesting the way you compare looking at data to looking at evidence and trying to see what is the story that this data or evidence tells. And it, through that lens, you'd think, oh, this is something that lawyers must be naturally good at because it's, it's very in line with what they do. As you mentioned, you know, maybe that's not always the case. So for those that are kind of new to this topic, maybe we can start by defining a few of the terms that we're going to use uh, throughout the podcast here. We have KPIs, metrics, data, analytics, all these different uh, ways to talk about these numbers. Can you describe the differences a little bit for us? Yeah. And I think the first thing to know is if you're not familiar with these terms, don't beat yourself up. I wasn't familiar with the terms when I first started my business and my law practice. 
And over time, it becomes second nature, just like an objection hearsay. You just learn what it means, and it becomes very easy to, to handle. The first term that we're going to reference are KPIs. This stands for Key Performance Indicator. And this is the end of the funnel, the goal line, the touchdown, You know what you're aiming for. So whatever your target is, it would be your KPI. It could be attorney's fees. It could be clients acquired. It could be jury verdicts. That's your goal. The second thing we're going to talk about is a term called metrics, which people use the term lag indicator and lead indicator. We're just going to use the term metric for now just to keep it simple. This is the step right before the key performance indicator. So if you were thinking about it in the terms of clients, you might say the step before a client is a potential client. The step before that that we're going to reference are activity numbers. So these are things that you do that lead to a metric, which then that leads to a KPI. And then when we reference analytics, we're talking about how you display the information in a way that's usable. That's the really important piece. I'm sure we've all gotten reports from you know, a financial planner or a CPA that's just like pages and pages and pages of spreadsheets that no one can make heads or tails of. That's not what analytics is designed to do. Analytics is designed to take a whole bunch of data and display it in a way that you can make it useful. And a lot of times, the simpler the display, the better use you can make of the data. So the three main topics, key performance indicators, metrics, activity, and then analytics. Great. That's really helpful. So to uh, draw an analogy to the, uh, the, the sports reference you made a minute ago, maybe your, maybe your KPIs are... Uh, how many how many points you put up on the board? Maybe your lead indicators or your metrics, or how many first downs you got, or passes completed—the things that get you to the goal line. Is that right? That's one hundred percent right. And if you're a Cowboys fan like I am, and I know you are, Kevin, we didn't get enough of those this season. Uh, <laughs> and I, I I love the sports analogies, frankly, because. If you put it in a sports context, it doesn't seem as intimidating. You know, all of us go to, or a lot of us go to, you know, ESPN.com and see the free throw percentage. And if it, you put that in the business context, all of a sudden we're intimidated. But if you think about sports, like, oh, yeah, it's a three point percentage. That's how many shots they took. That's how many turnovers they had. And, and then it becomes like a game and it becomes a lot easier to understand. And you want to think of your law practice like a game. One, it makes it more fun. And two, it helps you think about how I can be more successful at this game as, of either as an attorney or the practice of law. And, and one thing I want to point out, this isn't just for how you run your practice. You can use this on cases. And we actually have a really detailed scoreboard system that we use for individual cases, all the way to how we do focus groups or how we're going to take a deposition or how we're going to pick a jury. So this doesn't just have to apply in the business sense. If you're not running your own practice, it can also apply to you as a lead trial lawyer on how you can become a better attorney. So that's a great point. With, with all of the things that you can measure, where do you start? How do you, how do you pick the most important ones? You know, I think one thing that you want to keep in mind is what, are, what am I trying to achieve and what is my objective. So let's take some business aspects of it. We can use those as examples. So if I'm going to run a successful law firm, there's probably at least two KPIs that I really need to be concerned about. 
One is uh, how many clients I sign up. And the second would be how much in attorney fees do I make? You may also consider how many clients do I have? How many clients do I, do I lose every month? If I'm an hourly practice, I might consider how much do I have in retainers? But you want to try to keep it to three to five numbers, preferably closer to three with whichever category you're looking at a KPI for. So you could either look at it for your whole practice or you could hone and say, okay, I'm just going to look at it for marketing. So if I was going to look at it for my whole practice, I might look at the things we talked about before. If I was going to look at it just for marketing, I might say clients, cost per client, number of potential clients might be three things that I would target there. But you want to keep it to three to five max when you're trying to analyze data. Otherwise, it gets overwhelming. And also, it doesn't give you a good indication of which direction to turn or where to point to. This podcast is presented by Zinda Law Group, a nationwide personal injury firm. For over 10 years, the experienced lawyers at ZLG have been partnering with outside counsel across the United States on all types of personal injury and wrongful death cases. With over 30 attorneys, Zinda Law Group has paid out millions in referral and joint venture fees since 2015. To learn more about partnering with Zinda Law Group, please email us at referrals at zindalaw.com. We'll schedule a time for you to meet with Jack Zinda or one of our trial lawyers to discuss your case. So you've got your three to five for your firm as a whole. You've got your three to five for your individual departments. Um, now that you've defined these metrics, how are you, uh, how are you compiling these or, or how does the firm think about compiling these? Is there one person who kind of owns the data role or do you ask each of your teams to be in charge of their own metrics? Well, it's a little bit of A, a little bit of B. And, and to back up a little bit, you know, on the metrics itself, because this part can be really intimidating. And and I want to make sure that I we make it as simple as possible to create these on your own. So if you are taking something like attorney fees, you want to just go back to the very beginning of what led to that, that category you're looking at. So if I, for example, saying I want to hit $100,000 in attorney's fees this month. And on average, I settle a case for, let's say, a $25,000 attorney fee. So I need to resolve four cases. So that's the metric that leads to the attorney fee. And then let's say that I know to resolve four cases, I have to file six lawsuits. Uh, so six lawsuits is something I'm going to pay attention to. And I know I need to take four depositions in a month. And back to how many potential clients do I need? I need eight potential clients that lead to four cases. And so all of these, this breadcrumb, or I think of it as a domino or breadcrumbs that lead to the attorney fee, you would take that initial pieces of information that you have from your experience, line it up and see how many of those you need to reach your goal. One thing that just blows my mind is how many lawyers don't have goals for either their cases or their practice. Now, if I'm looking at an individual case, I might say, okay, I want to get this case resolved for at least a million dollars in less than 14 months. 
And there's a list of things that I'm going to need to do and track to achieve that objective. So it's always starting with the end and lining it up to get to the things you are in control of that will lead to that indicator of that result. Um, And then if things are going in the wrong direction, you figure out which one of those levers do I need to change to adjust results. Now, if I'm one thing that's really important that you were mentioned uh, a second ago, Kevin, is who's going to track and store the information in the perfect world. It would be stored in a software platform that's going to automatically capture a lot of this stuff. And there's relatively inexpensive platforms now in just about anything you want to track. You know, if you're talking about marketing, it might be something like Zoho that's a relatively free CRM. Or you could go more complex into something like Salesforce. If you're talking about financials, it might be something called QuickBooks or some other financial platform. But you want to assign one person on your team to be in charge of compiling and tracking the reports that you're going to use to make these decisions. Now, everybody on the team is responsible for making sure accurate data is into whatever system you use. You know, for example, if you're tracking the number of cases you receive, but the person that signed up the case doesn't put it in your system, well, whoever's doing the reporting is not going to be able to get an accurate report out of it. So you want to assign one person to be in charge of the reporting but then make sure everybody has a fidelity to accurate information because garbage in garbage out. You'll start making bad decisions based on bad data. The second piece of that is you want to pick a timeframe that you're going to look at this data on a regular basis. I think anything more than uh, weekly is too much. Uh, Monthly is probably ideal for some things you could look at it quarterly for in a few examples of that. We look at average time to resolve, how long it takes to resolve a case, and the average result once a quarter. If I look at that information once a month, it's not going to have a big change. We look at how many cases we've signed up once a week, because that does change greatly once, you know, week to week. And I can affect that in the short term. So you want to figure out how often you want to look at it and how often do you need that accurate data. Data can either be precise or timely, but it can't necessarily be both at the same time. So if I want to have the data for the month end, it's going to be off by the time I look at it because it's not real time if I'm closing the books. Or I could say I want it up to date to the last minute. Well, you may not be able to see it as quickly as you want to. Right. Right. Um, so not all, not all data is created equally. Exactly. Okay. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit about how you use the data once you have it. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Are there, are there any aha moments that you've had either recently or ones that just stand out from the past where you gained some insight about the firm that was, that was surprising based on the data? I love being put on the spot. I love to tap dance, Kevin. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, here's a couple of things that I would say. One is you want to make the data very, very simple to read and easy to use. So uh, I like to use colors that symbolize if the data is going the right direction or wrong direction. Red is bad. Yellow is caution. Green is good. That's so I can see the data quickly and really see, okay, are we on track or off track? An example of one that we spotted 
at the um, uh, end of the year. And there's a couple examples. One was the number of cases that were settled but not closed out. We saw that number was significantly higher than we like to see. And that was shown just by a percentage of cases that had been closed or resolved but not closed out within 60 days of them closing. Now, that's important because we want to make sure we're dotting our I's, crossing our T's, and we're not committing uh, any sort of issues to make sure we're getting the clients all their funds quickly enough, uh, making sure that all the documentation's occurring fast. And so that helped us identify that. Another area where it was extremely helpful was the average time to resolve a case. So the window from when we sign up a case to when it either goes to trial or settles ahead of time. We noticed that it was ticking up from 10 months to a little over 12 months recently. And we dug into the data and we saw, hey, we have about a 30-day delay from when we're deciding to file a lawsuit to when we're actually filing the lawsuit. And that came down to, why is that happening? Oh, we don't have enough resources to draft the number of lawsuits that we need to get done at times because it kind of comes in waves. So we're able to bring on some part-time help to help get the drafting backlog caught up and get that number back down to closer to the 10 number that we like to see. So that's a great example of like where we took something that was easy to identify because it was kind of flashing red, then dig down to like, what can I do to affect this today instead of just waiting for the end results? Um, and there's a ton of other examples like that that I've used uh, successfully in my practice over the years. Another great one is cash flow. You know, we do a cash flow analysis based on future revenue every week, looking out six months. And so I can see if it's red five months from now. Okay, why is it red? Is it because of an expense or a revenue? Okay, if it's because of revenue, is it because of a case issue? Is it because of a data issue? And I can dig in to help solve the problem before it comes a crisis. One of the really cool things about if you're looking at the right numbers, you should end having emergencies that create a lot of fires. Another way that it can really help you on the case level. So whenever we sign up a case, we look at how long it's been in the investigation stage. And so we give ourselves two weeks once a case has been signed up to see, is it a case we want to keep based on liability, damages, source recovery? And I can look at the firm as a whole, what number of cases have we had for more than 14 days that are not on the investigation stage? Now, there's a certain percentage where that's just going to be the case. You know, there's nothing we can do. It's taking longer to evaluate. Maybe it's a products liability case or a medical malpractice case that it's more difficult to figure that out. But on average, it should be at a certain percentage. And if I see that percentage is getting higher, then all of a sudden I know that we have a problem and I can dig into, is it a certain lawyer? Okay, yes, it's attorney A. It's not attorney B, C, or D. Okay, what's attorney A doing wrong? Oh, they're not going out to the scene as much or getting the photographs they should as quickly as they should. Or maybe they're overloaded on cases. And now I can make decisions based on that. Um. So those are a few examples we've had that uh, that have popped up. Happy to talk about more if you think of any that you you think people would want to hear about. No, I think that's great. It, it perfectly illustrates how if you if you start with a goal and you measure against that goal, you can identify when you're off track, and then as you said in the beginning, you can follow the trail back to see where along the along the line you've you've kind of gone awry and what you need to do to correct it. Talk to me a little bit about 
getting your team to buy into the notion of, of collecting and analyzing data. You mentioned that lawyers maybe uh, it's maybe not their default nature to to want to do this. Um, what tactics and techniques have you used to get the team aligned on this mission? I will tell you, this is one of the hardest things that, and it took years to get me to figure out how to get people to buy into this. Because when you first explain this to people, they look at it like busy work and that it's not going to help them. So the first thing I would say is you got to show them how this is actually going to help them. And so instead of just telling them to do something, walk them through the process we just did on every metric that you're measuring. Um, And what we've had to show the lawyers in particular is how this data actually is showing something is wrong on a case level. And it's not just a data point that I've randomly picked out of the air. So we were talking about like that investigation stage. Another data point we'd look at is how long does it take us to draft a demand from the date that we decide to send a demand? Another metric we look at is how long does it take us to receive a medical record once we've requested from a doctor? Or how long it's taken us to get a depot set when we file a lawsuit? And so what I'll do for the attorneys is I'll break all of these areas down and I'll show them how if this one is 30 days behind and this one is 30 days behind and this one is two weeks behind, all of a sudden a case that could have gotten resolved for a client in 11 months took 19 months. And then I show them how that affects their bonuses, how that affects the client, how that affects their long-term success, how they go from being able to handle 50 cases to only 35 because the cases are backlogged now um, and trying to show practically how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the the kind of thoughtful way to explain it. The other thing that, and this may sound a little harsh, you have to hold people accountable and hold the teams accountable for putting in correct data. We, as lawyers, we would never sign a pleading with the wrong client's name. So it's important that you explain to the team, it's just as important that this piece of information is in the system at the same level of quality. Because if you don't, it can become a culture where the data is consistently about 80, 70%, which almost makes it worthless. Mm -hmm. And then when you try to coach people using the data, they say, well, hey, the data is not even right. Why should I listen to you if this isn't even accurate? And it becomes this terrible cycle where the data is wrong, so people aren't bought into the data, so then for they don't see the usefulness of it, and now it does become just busy work. Right. And so it's better to not do any of it than to do it about 60%, 70%. Right. Makes sense. What else? What else comes to mind when thinking about data for law firms? Yeah, well, you know, just on that topic we were talking about before, I mean, I think it goes to the people you want to hire as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to make this a die on this hill. You must enter things into a system to work here. Mm -hmm. But you want to make sure you hire people that it's not going to be really difficult to get them to buy into some of these aspects. Um, You know, some really amazing trial lawyers that I know that work on, say, one case at a time that... um, don't have many areas to look at, would hate, you know, dealing with the data that we have to deal with. So you want to make sure, can you get people bought in? That's why it's one of our core principles. And the core principle is we make data-driven decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to make sure I hit was ways that you can use this in uh, litigation and other ways you can use it in your business. 
So one cool way we use it is in focus groups is we will track the demographics and different ways that people look at issues in focus groups. And then we'll combine that to see if there's trend lines with how certain, you know, age groups, income brackets, um, geographic areas might identify or not identify with an issue. For example, you know, we practice in Colorado and Texas. Colorado has legalized marijuana. Texas does not. And occasionally we'll get a case where one of our clients were injured and this has nothing to do with the injury, but they may have had, you know, marijuana in their system. Mm-hmm. Um, someone in Colorado may look at that very differently than Texas, or maybe they don't, you know, and we actually did a few focus groups recently. And we're very surprised that, you know, five years ago, that would have been a death knell in a Texas case. All of a sudden, that's not as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So we use that data to actually drive our advocacy and decision making in our actual cases. Um, which I think that's where it gets really fun, especially if you like to litigate and try cases like then you start getting into some really cool stuff about how you look at it, what witnesses you want to call. And one cool idea that we've really been talking about is, you know, for all the cases we try and people we take depositions of, is there a way to combine all that information to try to look at a big data set to help us make decisions on what cases to bring to trial? How do you value a case? Um, and that's another area that we've had a lot of success is using the data we've compiled to deciding what's a case worth, what's it valued at. And we'll look at verdicts that other firms have gotten and that we have gotten. We'll look at the average settlements that we've gotten from these types of cases. And we've even combined data with other law firms to share that so we can pull it all together and say, okay, if we are dealing with a you know trucking case in West Texas with these set of facts, what do we think the case should be valued at versus you know, East Texas. And as, you know, anybody who tries cases knows, you've got to decide what the value of the case is so you can decide if I'm going to take it to trial or not. Now, just out of curiosity, is this something that you had uh, in your in your arsenal when you first started as a lawyer or did you learn a lot of this along the way? Oh, man, I had none of this when I started as attorney. I knew nothing. Um, <laughs> I. I honestly got a lot of these ideas from thinking about how insurance companies work and how they evaluate cases. Okay. Because it bugged me when I first started practicing. I was like, how the heck are they coming up with these numbers? Like, <laughs> they just seem to be at random. You know, Allstate offers me, you know, 10 cents on the dollar. Another insurance co- company offers me 300%. And I said, they must be doing this based on something. And I started thinking, well, they, they've, got a lot of clients and customers and they have a big geographic region. So they must be based in on information. And I thought, gosh, what if we as plaintiff's lawyers had similar pieces of information that we could drive decisions on? Mm-hmm. And so it kind of, the curiosity started there. And then just over time, observing what other law firms are doing, what other businesses are doing, you know, because frankly, a lot of times law, law firms and lawyers are, you know, late adopters and we're not the best at being innovative. So I don't always get the most use out of looking at what other law firms are doing. I'll look at what other industries are doing. Sure. And you can get some really good ideas uh, that way. (laughs) So Kevin, I mean, I know you've done dealt with data a lot in your roles at CMOs at different companies. Are there any resources you can think of that, that maybe I don't know about, or some of the listeners may not, that might be useful? Yeah, there's, um, there's a great book called uh, Measure What Matters by uh, John Doerr. You can check that one out. Um, it's a good place to start. Uh, I, I, I take a lot from the book Traction, too, by Gino Wakeman, which uh, has 
it's not completely about data, but there's some good chapters in there about collecting the right amount of data, uh, kind of sticking to that three to five principle that you mentioned earlier. Um, and then I think, you know, finding, finding the right balance uh, in, in a tool that you're using that's flexible enough to collect the data that, that you want to have access to, but isn't too overwhelming for your team, I think is really important so that everyone can get value out of it, but, but also can be flexible enough to meet the needs of your particular business. And that can often be kind of a tricky balance, but I think that's something to be aware of and, and try to find that happy medium on. Yeah. You don't always want to get the Cadillac software program. I mean, and frankly, there's been so many times I've bought some software platform that I thought's going to change everything. And I end up going back to Excel because yeah. it's just too many bells and whistles. You need a certification to figure it out. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and another thing I would just tell everyone is don't be intimidated by the word data. I mean, change it to scoreboard, you know, then all of a sudden it becomes a lot less intimidating than data and analytics and all these big words that uh, people use to to make something, you know, kind of simple seem complicated. And as lawyers, one of our main jobs is to take a complicated subject and make it simple. And, and this is just another tool in the toolbox to do that. Just out of curiosity to jump to kind of the more advanced end of the spectrum for a second. Um, have you ever considered uh, creating a data environment where you could use something like SQL to pull any piece of data out of a data warehouse and manipulate it however you want in with code like that and sort of making that available for those that feel comfortable with that, with that type of thing? Yeah. I mean, one thing that we've talked about is a firm uh, and I've talked to a few other attorneys I know is creating a, a platform where you could share data across different law firms, like somehow taking the data, keeping it real simple in, like you said, a SQL database, and then allow it to share almost like a social media platform for plaintiffs firms hmm. to share data across locations and be able to visualize it real easy, real simply. That's really uh, interesting. It might be a way to catch up on the insurance companies a little bit. Oh, I know it drives me crazy because I just know, you know, someone like Allstate has 10 million data points. And, and no matter how good your firm is, you are very limited in your knowledge and knowledge is power. So, yeah, for sure. Well, cool. Jack, anything else you want to touch on on this topic? No, I hope uh, hope somebody got some use out of this. If you have any questions about what we do, like to see templates. I mean, we have data tracking for uh, marketing. Of course, Kevin knows all about for revenue, for litigation metrics, depositions, hearings. I mean, we have reports for just about everything. And if you're interested in getting a version of it or a copy or a template, just email me or Kevin and happy to pass it along to you and uh, help in any way we can. Or if you just want to chat about how to look at data for your own law firm, because every firm's different, happy to, to help out any way we're able to. That's awesome. You know what? We'll put that in the show notes. We'll put a link to um, maybe just a checklist of some initial KPIs that law firms can think about and, and put some of those templates in there as well. So that's a, a great idea. Thanks, Jack, for your time. And uh, if there's anything else that people have questions on, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Uh, just reach out to uh, info at zindalawgroup.com and, uh, or you can call me at the firm at 512-246-2224. Thanks, okay. Kevin. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Effective Lawyer. 
You can learn more about our team and find other episodes of our podcast at zindalaw.com. As always, we'd appreciate that you subscribe, rate, and review the pod. Thanks.